Good job. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Those were terrific testimonies, terrific song, Bree. Thank you. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel, chapter 21. 2 Samuel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is a story that uh, we don't hear often, a story that is true and that makes a lot of wonderful uh, points for us on Mother's Day. Look with me at the the Word of God, verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of a remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. For he said, Whatsoever you say, I will do for you. And they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Meshibbeth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Amariah and Meshibabeth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aria, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzilla, the Maltierti. Well, this is a very interesting story. I imagine that uh, some of you have heard it and have thought about it and thought about uh, what Rizpah did. I remember when I was a little boy in my Baptist church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, the pastor preached a whole sermon on Rizpah. And I thought, uh, boy, that was something. That was really something, what she did as a mother. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, I think this is the first time I have preached about it, but it's uh, certainly been a, a thing that I have thought about time and time again in my life, the greatness that some moms are to their children. When Joshua was conquering the land of Canaan, a group of people called the Gibeonites They tricked him. The Gibeonites had heard how this group of Israelites had been victorious at Jericho and Ai. The Israelites had just come in and devastated those two places. And they were moving toward Gibeah, 
where the Gibeonites lived. And, of course, they didn't want to be massacred like those other two towns. So they thought, well, let's try this. They put on old shoes and old clothes, and they took dust and sprinkled it on their heads and shoulders and all over them. And they wanted to look like they had come from a great distance. So they finally walked into the place where the Israelites were. And the Gibeonites said they wanted to be friends. And they wanted to make a covenant with the Israelites and their God. So Joshua and the Israelites graciously made a pact. Made a pact with them. With these strangers that they thought surely had come from a long, long way off. Well, the next day, Joshua found out that these Gibeonites came from the other side of the mountain. And they were real upset about that. They had been tricked and they knew it. Well, they didn't know what to do with the Gibeonites. They couldn't kill them. They just made a covenant with them. So they decided, well, we'll just make them our slaves. And so that's what they did. Well, things went along real well for the Gibeonites. For years and years and years. And then came the reign of Saul. Saul found that the Gibeonites had been talking secretly with the Philistines. The Philistines were their uh, biggest enemy. And it just made Saul furious that these Gibeonites were talking to them. In Saul's anger with the Gibeonites... It caused him to order some of his men and go out and kill a bunch of the Gibeonites. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, no one thought much about that. But the Gibeonites, uh, they were really upset about it, of course, because some of their relatives were killed. Uh, well, they remembered the covenant that had been made with them years and years earlier. A covenant that was made before the Lord. Now that's the key line. The covenant was made before the Lord. In such cases, God's honor was understood to be involved in bringing the guilty party to justice. In keeping with the Hebrew understanding of corporate responsibility... Everybody understood that if, that if Saul sinned, then all of his family was involved in that sin. That's the way they thought. That's the way they had it figured. Well, when Saul died, David became the king. And after he had been the king for about a year, he looked around and realized that it hadn't rained in a year. And the animals were short on water. And the crops were short on water and things were getting rough. Well, guess what? It didn't rain the next year. And then it didn't rain the next year. They just couldn't believe it. They thought, what in the world is going on? David thought, well, you know, there's a dry year every once in a while. But for crying out loud, there have been three years of absolutely no rain. What in the world should we do? Well, let me ask you a question this morning. When something goes wrong in your life, in your family, your town, 
How long do you wait before you go to the Lord with that issue? Do you wait a day? Do you wait a week? Do you wait a month? Do you wait a year? Well, David waited three years. And it was terrible. It was just terrible in the land. Everything was drying up. The animals were dying. It was just terrible. People didn't have enough to drink. So after three years, it finally dawns on David that he ought to go to the Lord and find out a solution for this terrible problem that is besetting them. When David sought a divine explanation of this particularly severe famine that had hit the land, Saul's violation of Israel's covenant with the Gibeonites was remembered. And that was brought forward. They said, you know, Saul did a bad thing. And we never, you know, made that right with the Gibeonites. That was a terrible thing that Saul did. Although expiation of guilt by payment of redemption money was possible in some circumstances, the Gibeonites refused to allow it in this particular case. They said, no, we don't want money. Uh, That's not what we're after. In keeping with the law of retaliation, have you ever heard of the law of retaliation in the Scripture? It's in two verses. In Exodus 21, verse 14, and in Leviticus 24, verse 20. You can look those two up, and you'll find the law of retaliation. Well, what is the law? The law basically is this. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you broke somebody's arm, they could break your arm. If you broke somebody's leg, they could break your leg. If you poke somebody's eye out, They could poke your eye out. That was the law of retaliation. And the Gibeonites demanded that be carried out in this instance. The Gibeonites demanded capital punishment for representatives of Saul's family. They said that's the only thing that will settle this terrible thing that Saul did to us. David obviously needed rain. I mean, he couldn't do without rain. Everybody was fussing and fighting. and uh, It was just a terrible mess in the land. And he thought, well, okay. So he made the deal. He felt like he didn't have any other choice because he really needed the Lord to send the rain. The Gibeonites said, we want seven sons of Saul. And we want to take them to our place. And we want to kill them. And uh, that's what we want. So David said, okay. So David found seven sons of Saul. Five from one of his wives and two from a concubine named Rizpah. Well, he got these seven people together and he gave them to the Gibeonites. And they took them back to their uh, main headquarters And they killed him. When the executions took place at the beginning of the barley harvest, about the middle of April, Rizpah, Saul's concubine, and the mother of two young men, began a vigil to protect the bodies of her two sons, 
She wanted to protect their bodies from the scavengers. Her heroic watch, day and night, for months and months and months, which may have lasted until early autumn, undoubtedly captured the imagination, the attention, the sympathy of everybody in Israel. They thought, boy, she is some kind of mom. She's out there guarding the bodies of her two boys. In the limelight of public attention, David recognized an opportunity to disassociate himself from any responsibility for these deaths. He didn't want to be uh, held, uh, you know, people hating him because of what he'd done. So when the fall rains came, on schedule, that symbolized the return of God's favor to the Israelites. David gathered up the young men's remains, those seven men, and gave them an honorable burial among their people. At Gibeah, the day of the killings, you could have asked the same questions to three different groups of people And you certainly would have gotten three different answers. If you were to ask the Gibeonites, why are you here this day watching these people be killed? Why are you here? They would say, because Saul killed a bunch of our people. And we want to pay him back. We have some revenge that we want to show. That's what the Gibeonites would say. If you were to ask Saul's sons that were about to die why they were there, they would have said, well, we're here because our dad messed up. That's why we're here. And we're going to die because of what he did. That would have been their answer. If you had asked Rizpah why she was there, she would have responded, Because I love my two boys more than I can explain. And I would do anything, anything for them. Rizpah did not want to see the bodies of her boys desecrated. She kept the birds off by day and the animals off by night. She never left that place of death. She stayed right there, right there. She never left for a minute. The law of the day was that bodies were not to be removed until the fall rains came. Rizbah sat there for at least five months, maybe six, maybe seven months, guarding those bodies of her boys. She lived, literally lived. For her children. Day and night, whether prowlers or animals or hunger or whatever it was, whatever demonstration it might have been, she didn't leave. She had a lasting and deep love for her boys. Many many commentaries say, and the first time I read this in one of the commentaries, I thought, well, that's a real strong statement. But numerous commentaries say 
in all of the history of mankind, there was not a better example of a mother's love than what Rizpah did. Now let me ask you this morning, how does your love compare to that of Rizpah's? For your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren. I am so glad to know so many of the mothers in our church. I know most of you pretty well. Through these years, we've uh, gotten to spend time together and visit together and pray together and be in the hospital together. I found out that we have many wonderful, godly mothers in this church family. Thank you for rearing your children in the ways of the Lord. Thank you for that. God bless you for that. In eternity, when you see your children again, they will thank you forever for the love of Jesus that you put in their hearts. Amen. Amen. God bless the mothers that are here today. Well, as always, we want to have a time of invitation when we invite folks to come and join with us, folks to come and make a public profession of their faith. There's a lot of people that uh, think, you know, I'm going to do that someday. Someday I'm going to do it. Today would be a great day to honor. Maybe it's the memory of your mom. And what she wanted for your life. To really stand tall for Jesus. Maybe today would be the day that you'd want to stand tall for the principles that she taught you. Or your grandmother, your great-grandmother. Today, as we come to these moments of invitation, if you'd like to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to say yes to Jesus. I'd encourage you just to slip out and slip forward. And take a stand for him. I'll be standing right down here at the front. We'll wait. We're not in any hurry. We want you to come and and take a step closer to our Savior. To join his family. To be a part of those that are trying to move our country and our world in a Godward direction. Please come and help us in that task. If the Lord leads, you come. Let's stand and sing together.